Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 20 of Wellness and Wanderlust. As always, I am so grateful to have you join me here. And I feel like a broken record when I say this, but I seriously can't believe we are already 20 episodes in. I've just loved getting to connect with you all in this way over the past few months. And I'm so excited for you to see what we have in store this week. So you guys are in for a treat. Today's guest is Tracy Lalonde, author of The Joy Achiever Journey, Evade Burnout, Surpass Your Goals, and Out Happy Everyone. After suffering high levels of burnout in her career, she took a step back to embark on her own joy journey, and today she helps other overachievers find joy in their lives while still pursuing their goals. I loved getting the chance to read Tracy's book and chat with her. I'm someone who considers myself an overachiever and a perfectionist, and I've definitely struggled with the notion that being successful and prioritizing joy in your life have to be so mutually exclusive. A lot of the resources out there really seem to pit these two concepts against each other as kind of an either or. You can either embrace the hustle but give up on sleep and health and everything, or just go ahead, quit the nine to five world forever because it can never possibly be fulfilling. And, you know, there's really no middle ground that I tend to see out there. I've experienced my share of burnout in corporate America, but I also truly believe that you can find meaning in your career and still be happy and healthy. So Tracy's story is incredibly powerful, and she shares such actionable tips about incorporating our values and strengths into what we do. We also talk about creating rituals in our day, how to set work-life boundaries during a pandemic when we're working from home, and even when it's time to say goodbye to friendships that no longer serve us. Her book is an absolute must-read, and I am so excited to share our conversation with you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hi, Valerie. I'm so glad to be here with you. How about you tell us a little about yourself? Well, I have a training and development background. Uh, in, the, in the 90s, I worked in the high-tech consulting space doing training and development. And then in the 2000s, I worked in the legal industry uh, in two major roles, one being internally to some major law firms as a professional development executive. And then since 2006, I've been a consultant to lawyers, teaching them both business development and public speaking skills. That's incredible. And most recently, you can add author to your list. And I really enjoyed your book, The Joy Achiever Journey. I would love to know what inspired that and what does it mean to be a joy achiever? Well, Joy Achiever was inspired in part by my own journey, but also from watching really smart, successful lawyers burn out. Um, that industry in particular has high rates of burnout and depression and, and other issues. But for me personally, you know, in the consulting space, when I was doing that, I was having a lot of great success. And I loved the work and I loved my clients and, and they were being successful. So that made me feel really good. However, the downside of that is I was on the road 40 weeks a year, three cities a week, some weeks that meant seven to nine airplanes. Um, all I ever thought about was work. I have a partner, um, we don't have children. So we were both thinking about work all the time. And in, in 2016, for me personally, it reached a breaking point. Like I was just 
I was just unhappy and stressed all the time and showing, you know, physical ramifications of that stress. My hair was thinning. I was having heart palpitations. I wasn't sleeping well, you know, all the typical things that we see. And so at that point in time, I thought I need to do something different about this. And I, and I made a drastic change. I tattooed joy to my wrist and went on what I call as my joy journey and left work completely with the, with the endorsement of my husband, which was an amazing thing and took eight months off to really kind of reclaim my joy and heal. And that was the beginning of the joy church of the joy cheaper journey. That's incredible. And I just have to share personally, the word joy is actually my word for 2021. So that really resonates deeply with me. And I'd love to know, you know, while you were on that joy journey, what all did you learn? What did you find? Well, you know, it's interesting because it continued even after those eight months, um, because I did start another business, but it started off with revisiting my values, thinking about, you know, what are my strengths that make me the happiest? Um, in what context do I want to do them? So I really let my brain think freely uh, and not feel constrained to context and things I'd done before. Ironically, I came back to a setting um, that I'm familiar with, i.e. a consulting business. And, and again, I'm teaching lawyers public speaking and business development. But what's interesting and, and why the, the joy the joy journey continued and has now become the joy achiever journey is that it is about 18 months in as I was doing my thing. And again, having great success, not quite the crazy lifestyles before I had better control over that, but I found that I, I wasn't having as much fun as I thought I should be. And in fact, I was kind of bored. You know, I thought, all right, it's my own business. It's my own content. I have nobody to blame. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so what is it that's happening here? And so that's when, in that particular instance, you know, context, I realized, matters a whole lot in that uh, public speaking has always been a really great skill of mine. But in some contexts, I was having more fun than in other contexts. So that's just continued to fuel my self-exploration. And also, I let myself think even more broadly of, okay, if I could talk about any topic to anybody, what would that be? And that's when I had the huge epiphany of, I really would love to talk about joy. And that's specifically where the notion of joy achiever came from, because I thought, why is it that achievement and joy have to feel so mutually exclusive? You know, or why is it that overachievers, I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed overachiever, you know, why can't we have more happiness? And so that's where the specific joy achiever journey um, in, in that context was born. I think that is so interesting and so inspiring because you're right. I think for so many of us, we, we do all the right things. You're getting involved in all of the things that maybe look good on paper and you enjoy achieving. You really do. And you like coming into work in some ways, but at the same time, um, you know, in the prologue in your book, you talk about Lauren as someone who, again, did all the right things, got involved in all of the right organizations had a great life, but her health is struggling. She's burned out. And I think burnout is something that is unfortunately all too common for so many overachievers, myself included. And I'd love to know more about how we can really work toward that career success and still really, you know, build ourselves up, focus on that professional development that we enjoy, but still pursue our joy and not burn ourselves out. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think it really comes down to, to two things. One is that, and this includes myself, I don't think we have a deep enough or clear enough understanding of ourselves. And this is coming from someone who felt like she had a decent handle on who she was. You know, I, I, I had been clear about my values for a long time and I'd been, or so I thought, you know, and clear about my strengths or so I thought, and I realized there was a whole bunch more learning to do, number one. Number two is joy isn't the outcome of a moment. It's not like anybody's going to read this book and suddenly, you know, bango, bamo, they're happy. <laughs> That's not how it works. But it's really an accumulation of small choices that we make every day that are grounded in the things that we know about ourselves that make us happy. And, and so that's what resulted in the book that I put together is because even in just my own research personally, you know, there's a book out there about mindfulness and there's a book out there about stress and there's a book out there around values. You know, there's lots of individual sources for, for, to help someone, but I wasn't finding anything that could look at it from a holistic perspective of what are all the elements that I should be keeping in mind and how can we both continue to achieve and pursue joy? Because I don't know if I want folks to quit their jobs. I mean, that's not what I'm endorsing. In fact, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if someone wants to do that and, and, and have fun with that, great. You know, I'm so thankful I did, but it wasn't an eat, pray, love kind of experience. For me, you know, I want folks to be able to still be gainfully employed and think about how they can, you know, make the small choices to to position themselves for the most joy possible. That makes a lot of sense. And I think doing those things that you really love and making those small choices can be so powerful. But I think for many overachievers, we've been so focused on success for the sake of success that we aren't always following what we're passionate about. I I see that my father has his dream career. My sister is doing the thing that she was born to do. And there are people out there that are doing what they love, what they know to be their passion. But I think for so many of us, it's a lot grayer of an area to try to figure out where do we really belong, especially as overachievers. What can we do? How can we understand ourselves better so that we can follow that passion and get ourselves onto a track that's going to bring us true happiness? Yeah, well, so in the book, I outline seven what I call true self-stops. And those are those exploratory areas. And I would encourage folks, if they've never kind of done this work before, to walk through each of those steps and take time with them. So, for example, the first stop is called um, perception vista. And this is how we take in the world. And what folks don't realize is that our bodies take in 40 million bits of information every second through all of our senses. 40 million, like it's huge, <laughs> but, but our brains, I'm sorry, it's 11, it's 11 million bits, but our brains are only able to interpret 40 bits. So we take in 11, we interpret 40. So therefore we are only paying attention to what we're predisposed to. And that's based on your values and your beliefs and your experiences and what's in front of you. And it's kind of like the glass half full, glass half empty because our brains are actually wired towards negativity because we've had to survive, you know, the Neanderthal days. Mm-hmm. And, 
when we do that, various different parts of the brain are enacted, i.e. the amygdala, which is your flight or fight center, adrenaline, cortisol, et cetera. Those, those things help us to survive when we're under stress. What all of the wellness movements are about is about engaging those activities that prompt the positive chemicals to come out, like engaging the prefrontal cortex to keep the amygdala under control and releasing dopamine and serotonin, et cetera. So that's why mindfulness is helpful or exercise is helpful or meditation is helpful or a variety of other things. And so it's having that awareness of you are, your reality is literally your choice. You know, you and I go into a room and the, the features of the room are exactly the same, but you're going to see different things than I'm going to see based on our perceptions and how we're wired. And so aiming more towards the positive of what we take in is just one, one small step of an example of what folks can do. I love that. And, you know, you talk a lot about mindfulness and exercise and doing some of those things physically that are going to help us, you know, to see the world in a more positive light and to take better care of ourselves. I do think for many overachievers, and I know at times where I've been the most stressed, even though it's kind of counterintuitive, we tend to sacrifice our health and sleep first. What tips do you have to really help especially overachievers, prioritize your health when it just doesn't feel like there are enough hours in the day to really do that? It's tough, Valerie. I know it's yeah. because there's just so, so much we have to do or want to do, you know, even because we're loving what we're doing. However, you know, I have found that sleep is the fountain of youth. It, the now that I've really gotten clear about sleep, I mean, it's kind of revolutionized how I'm thinking about sleep. And frankly, COVID has offered an opportunity for me personally to really focus on sleep um, because I'm not traveling, you know, like mm -hmm. I was before. And there's a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker that I would recommend for everyone to read. And it is fascinating about the level of clarity, all based on science and what happens in our brains and our bodies when we actually get consistent, good quality sleep because we process all the information that we take in during the day to create memories. We build up our immune systems to fight off illness. You know how when you have a cold and you want to sleep? Well, that's because that's the body is fixing itself. <laughs> you know, we, um, it promotes creativity and problem solving. Like there's so many great things that we do and so many folks pride themselves on being short sleepers. They're like, oh, I can get by on four hours of sleep. Well, sure. You know, but if you don't, because the inverse of that is lack of sleep is tied to so many illnesses, cancer, Alzheimer's, uh, you name it, you know, it, it's, it's tied to it. So one step in particular, the National Institutes of Health have a 12 step uh, or 12 options, suggestions for how to improve your sleep. And I mentioned them in the book, but one that's really worked for me this year is sticking to a sleep schedule which means going to bed and waking up the same time every day, even on the weekends. And for me, that's 10 to six. Now on, on a Friday night, I may stay up until 11. <laughs> so it's not, doesn't have to be hardcore, but I have found that that one particular suggestion has really just revolutionized the way I sleep, number one, and number two, the way I feel. Absolutely. And I definitely need to read that book. Um, 
and just kind of get myself into a better sleep schedule. But I think it is so important. And I think even some of the statistics that you shared in the book about the level of impairment that we have when we don't sleep being similar to maybe a drunk driver. And if that's not compelling enough reason to try to get enough sleep, I don't know. Um, But I think sticking to a schedule is so, so important. You also talk a little bit about boundaries in the book um, between our work and home lives, kind of shutting things off after work. For me during a pandemic, and I think for a lot of us where we're working from home, it can be a lot harder to really set those boundaries and kind of know where work ends and where, you know, leisure in the evening really begins. How do we really set those boundaries between our work and our home lives right now, or for those of us who will be working from home for the foreseeable future? Yeah, Valerie, that's been a struggle of mine too. And especially during the pandemic and candidly, I've been working since home for, from home since 2006. So working from home isn't new for me. It's just that I used to travel. I used to do a lot of my work outside of the home. And, and you know, on one side of the coin, it's great that we're all working from home because our, our commutes are much shorter from one room to another, or maybe in the same room for some people. But that's even more challenging because you can't ever get the office you know, out of your bedroom, if that's where your, where your office has to be, depending on your, on your setup. And so boundaries really takes an incredible amount of discipline and also an incredible amount of intentionality and really respecting those boundaries. So for example, saying to yourself, okay, today I'm going to work from, I'll uh, just say nine to five as an example, and that you end at five o'clock, you know, or take that lunch half an hour for yourself. Uh, I've also found and, and started to talk a little bit about some of those rituals of closing the day down. You know, so for example, for some of us, that used to be the commute. And, you know, if you're on mass transit, maybe you read a book or listen to a podcast or listen mm-hmm. to music. Like we don't have those transition activities as much as we used to either. And so you could also help to find what those could be for you. So for me, that's changing my clothes. So for example, I know folks have gotten really casual as it relates to working from home. I see them on Zoom calls every day. Um, So I've gotten back into the habit of actually shower and dress as if I'm going to the job in the morning. And then at the end of the day, I will go up and I will change my clothes. And so that's kind of the physical demarcation of my day is over. So therefore, if I have to pick something up later, you know, it feels like I am doing that on my social time because I'm not dressed, you know, for work. Um, another example is if folks do have to work later, or maybe they need to do, you know, something later in the evening after they put the kids down. Okay, that's fine. But bookmark it, you know, say, okay, I'm going to do it from 9pm to 930. And then you've got to stop. You know, so treat it as an appointment or a phone call like you would anything else to kind of keep it contained. That is really great advice. I, um, I've been in a similar boat. I actually do try to dress somewhat for work during the work day. Just, well, I do have a lot of zoom calls, but also just to, um, feel a little bit more like I'm at work, but knowing when to change as well, I think would make such a big difference. And then of course, bookmarking the time I think can make a difference as well, especially I think for a lot of us overachievers, that schedule is so, so, so important and something that we actually kind of do stick to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Now, in terms of those boundaries that we need to set, I think kind of in the same vein, you talk a lot about relationships in the book as well, and that those play a major role in our joy achiever journey. Many of us have really positive relationships in our lives that we really want to nurture, but then 
I think probably most of the people listening have those toxic relationships as well, or just relationships that aren't serving us anymore. What are your suggestions for navigating that relationship harbor that you talk about in the book? Yeah, and as, as you said, you know, relationships via a Harvard study, um, one of the longest running of its kind of, of what characteristics create healthy aging, relationships have come out number one. And they've looked at people for over 70 years and that keeps coming to the top. And, and you know, lots of folks think that's love partners and certainly love partners are a big factor in that. But I wanted to look at it, as you said, from the per- perspective of friendships, because we you know, put a lot of energy and effort to creating lists for our ideal love partners. And we try out a number of different love partners and have breakups and, and, and all of that's okay. You know, it's expected in order to figure out what kind of love partner is the best fit for you. But as you said, we don't always do that for our friendships. Friendships kind of just happen either because we're, we work together or maybe we're similarly situated geographically or what have you. And I use the metaphor of a harbor because not all friendships need to gain BFF status um, and not all friendships are meant to be throughout our entire lives. You know, some of them might only be there for parts of it and that's all okay too. The boats come in and the boats go out. What is challenging and, and, and as you alluded to in your question is when we get ourselves into relationships that maybe aren't the best for us. And so in the book, I've just got seven factors that help you to evaluate, you know, what relationships are joy inducing versus joy robbing. So, so kind of put a structure around it because maybe we, maybe you're feeling like the friendship is, isn't working out, or maybe there's even, you know, more um, dramatic signs of you're arguing a lot or things like that. But this, these components will help you maybe figure out why that those are, that that's happening. And so things like having shared values and goals or shared interests, or, um, you know, time and effort. You know, I've had some friends where I just can't give the amount of time that they want in a friendship. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm, just not, I'm just not a good friend for them. If it's somebody who needs to talk to me every day, uh, I'm, just not, <laughs> I'm not gonna be good for that. <laughs> and that's okay. Like that doesn't make them bad or me bad. You know, it's just that that's the kind of friendship that, they want to have versus I want to have. And so I want to encourage folks to be more strategic and intentional around the characteristics of what makes up a good friendship for you personally. And then two, and candidly, I've only done this once, but if friendships aren't working out to actually have that conversation and much like we would a love partner kind of breakup, you know, do a, do a bit of a breakup with a friend in a caring, loving, generous way, because honestly, if, if the friendship isn't working for you, it's likely not working for the other person either. And so having that kind of conversation, number one, maybe first see if it can be resolved, you know, maybe with a bit of communication, you know, if the folks person wants to talk every day and I can't, and the other, other person may say, well, you know what, that's okay. If I talk to you once every three or four days, I'm good with that. I'm like, great, I can do that. You know, but if it's really not working out, being able to set that person free and, and open yourself to other types of friendships, I think is important. I think that's so true. And I do think our friendships and our relationships and the needs we have on either side can change over time. And so, you know, are we evolving in the same direction or not, you know, or does the nature of that friendship just change a little bit over time? So I think 
being more intentional about that. You're right. We spend a lot of time with our friends where those take up a different part of our heart than maybe our, you know, romantic relationships. And it is just as important to really be intentional about who we choose to have in our lives. So I think that, you know, those friendship breakups can be really difficult, but probably necessary when those do happen. But, you know, it's possible that that conversation and some communication can help move things in the right direction or help kind of reset expectations a little bit. Yeah. And, and I, and I, you know, it's interesting because when, when, and the romantic side of things, when you marry someone, as an example, you know, we tend to be more intentional around having those specific conversations about how to grow together when our needs change or our interests change, but we don't have them so much in friendships. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if friends knew, you know, what else we needed, we would want to provide that with one another. You know, I've had a couple of friendships just kind of fade away, which isn't happens. I've done it. Other people have done it to me. And I've, I've come, always kind of wondered like, well, could I have done something differently? You know, in those friendships where I didn't feel like they'd run their course yet. It's like, well, what, number one, what was I doing? Did I do something to make you upset? <laughs> I would have loved to have known that. Or number two, you know, could we have adjusted how we were interacting with one another so we could still be here for for each other. And I'll never know. You know, I'll never know. Yeah, that can be tough not having that closure. And I do think right now with a pandemic, our relationships look a lot different. We aren't seeing our friends in person in the same way that we used to. And I think everybody is in a weird headspace right now, just, you know, in terms of how we are feeling during the pandemic and how we're reacting to, you know, various things going on in the news. So I do think it's a little bit of a strange time for everyone. Do you have any tips for navigating those relationships during a pandemic? I think it's more of the same in that we've just got to be intentional in our communication with the people we care about. Um, you know, Zoom happy hours were the were the latest craze, and then it, or the well the beginning craze. You know, of COVID, everybody was doing Zoom happy hours, yeah. and you could you could do a Zoom happy hour every day. And I got to the point of like I don't want to drink every day. Like, <laughs> granted zoom happy hour doesn't have to automatically include wine but you felt kind of that joyousness celebration that we were all looking forward to and so i've been happy to see people get in together in other ways like i know folks who will do peloton classes together or um or maybe they'll take a class online together or i think there's now an app where you can watch a movie you know together so i'm thankful that technology has continued to evolve so that we can do different things um, and sharing time with one another, but I think we have to just keep communicating. It's too easy to get caught up in our own lives and our own homes and not have that reach out and lose touch with folks. And so, you know, I want to, I want us to be intentional around trying to not have that happen. You know, that said, it's also okay. You know, if, if folks need a little bit of break and need to step back a little bit to regroup and be on their own for a spell, then, then that's what we can do for each other as friends, but ensuring that too much time doesn't go by that they get too reclusive. That makes a lot of sense because I think it can be kind of tempting, especially for um, any introverts listening, myself included, we can become a little bit of a hermit and not realize that the world is still passing us by. And so making sure that we're still, you know, having those conversations and checking in with our friends. And I, I love the idea of even some of those online classes and some of the even free resources out there right now during the pandemic, being able to maybe do those together. I think that would be amazing. And, 
you know, that kind of leads me in a little bit to one of your chapters really focuses on leisure. Just one of the fun facts I really enjoyed was that Brad Pitt uh, does pottery and knitting in his spare time. And I think as overachievers, many of us don't really take that time for leisure. I know when I was in grad school, when friends saw that I maybe went to a museum over the weekend, they were like, well, didn't we have a paper to write? And for me, that was something that, you know, really helped my sanity was to get out for a couple of hours and do something. But I think for many of us, or when you do have a major project or something like that, it can be really, really hard to prioritize that leisure. And I think that's one of the first things to really, you know, take off of the schedule. Um, How can we ensure that we are taking that time for leisure? And why is that so important for us? Yeah, it's really critical because we can't, we cannot do work 24 seven. We're just at some point, we have diminishing returns of effectiveness. And I know we're not doing it 24 seven, but you know, all the time. And so, you know, hobby or play or leisure, whatever that is for you. And and it doesn't have to be singular. It can incorporate your family or your pets or your passions or what have you Um, really give us that place to relax. You know, it lets the stress hormones of a cortisol and adrenaline subside. And that's why stress is so damaging is because our bodies weren't intended to have that running in our, those, those chemicals running in our system 24 seven. We can't withstand it. And so leisure enables you to give that a relax, to play. It lets you get creative too. There's plenty of studies out there that talk about how play encourages creativity. In fact, um, at one point in my career in the nineties, I worked for a kind of before e-commerce was a thing. And I managed the design team. And it was one of those environments where we worked in a loft and there literally was a dartboard and a pool table and all these kinds of things. And the designers would take time in the middle of the day to play a game of pool. And I was coming from a corporate space where it was very formal. And I thought, you're playing pool in the middle of the day? (laughs) How is this possible? But yet then later on, the ideas that they would come up with because they had a break and let their, their brains just kind of formulate they were great, fascinating ideas that would come up because they would take that that time to play. And so, you know, for me, for example, this year, I bought a bike. Even though they were in shortage, I had to wait a while. I managed to finally get my hands on a bike uh, and my husband too. And we love bike riding now. Like it is a thing for us where we will go out on a Saturday or Sunday and we'll just go ride around for two hours and have the best time. And I live in Florida for all of you who don't know, but some, so we're able to bike year round, but that's just a leisure time or a hobby that we've both been able to find. And, and it just, I feel like a little kid again. I literally on my bike going, Wee! <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I love that you're getting that physical activity. You're getting the sunshine. You are getting so many positive benefits from doing that. And you're just seeing different things throughout the day. I, I love, you know, we're so spoiled in Florida, uh, mm-hmm. that our winter is really a great time, I think, to be doing a lot of that. But I think that's so important. And I would fall off of my bike if I had one, but taking <laughs> <laughs> that time outside is, is, just so, so helpful for really letting those stress hormones fall to the wayside a little bit. And even for me taking a little walk around my neighborhood in the middle of the work day, I feel so much clearer and I feel guilty at first that I'm away from my computer, but then 
I can work so much better when, when I do get back and I just feel calmer. Yeah. Well, and there's, and there's also science around nature therapy. You know, just that idea of being outside actually is very therapeutic um, generally, whether it's the good weather we have in Florida or the snowy weather that, that Northern folks have right now, just getting a little bit of that and also getting some sunlight, which is going to help the sleep because then that, that helps the uh, circadian rhythm, you know, stay timely in its rhythm as well. Absolutely. And speaking of sleep in the book, you also talk about incorporating morning rituals in your routine and really starting the day that way. Do you have a morning ritual you'd like to share? And what can you tell us about, you know, what makes a good morning ritual? Yeah, I think morning rituals are really, really critical in kind of setting the tone for your day. And during the pandemic, I've loved my morning ritual because my hubby and I spoon for the first 15 minutes <laughs> after the alarm goes off. Like that's just become something that we do is spending time together because he's running a business as well as I'm busy and we go into our respective quote unquote offices in the house um, and we may not see each other, you know, the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very critical part of our morning ritual together. Um, my morning ritual always involves exercise too, and may not be every day, but it's typically five days a week. And I love just the endorphin kick and feeling like I've accomplished something. And then once I've done those two things, then I will typically just kind of think about my plan for the day, take in news. Uh, and in particular, last year, there's been so much news, but you know, what's happened today, but keep it contained. Um, and then you know, get myself together and eat my breakfast and put myself at my desk. So it usually takes me all in about two hours from waking up to when I'm functional for the day. But that's kind of, those are the pieces uh, or the components of a good morning ritual for me. But it can be, it can vary for everybody, you know. So if you maybe have a pet and want to take your pet for a walk or spend time with the kids before they get going on their day or do yoga or take, I've been taking extra minutes in the shower lately because that's felt good. So you can, you know, really kind of depend upon what works for you. Absolutely. And those extra minutes in the shower, I get all of my best ideas when I'm in there. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Me too. Yes. That's, that's awesome. And I would also just love to know, kind of switching gears a little bit, what your experience was like writing a book during COVID-19. That's really, really such an incredible accomplishment. And, you, you know, yeah, what that journey was like. Well, you know, it's interesting because the, the process for the book started in 2019, uh, probably late spring 2019, and really started a bunch of research and just thinking about what is it that I want to talk about and how do I want to frame it and how do I make it accessible for folks and easy to read. And I literally started writing on the first week of March of 2020 and then had my first business or my last business trip in the middle of March. And my business in particular pretty much stopped (laughs) for about five months. Um, so I suddenly ended up with a massive amount of free time and, and wrote the book literally within three months. It just kind of came pouring out of me. And, and that's a bit of my creative process. Anyhow, I do a whole bunch of consuming of information. And then once I have it all in, then I usually get it out pretty quickly. And it was really interesting also writing about these concepts in the midst of COVID. And so I had an opportunity to test run 
some of these ideas as folks were, you know, number one, finding more time. You know, so they were looking at exercise more and being more mindful around exercise. They were being more open to leisure because they weren't commuting. On the other hand, I had friends who were crazy busy because now they were being teachers for their children. So they had been full-time jobs and having to be teachers. So I was able to test out some other ideas, you know, on the opposite side of the coin of people who were busier than they'd ever have been, you know, before. And so it was a very fortuitous time to not only get the book out of my head and my soul onto a page, but then also share some of the ideas with, with my friends and with some other contacts to ensure that they were even reasonable and worth, worth writing about. That makes sense. And I think this is a time that really can be very effective for just that reflection and for really thinking about what's working in our lives and what isn't working in our lives or what wasn't working in our lives prior to the pandemic. And so I really think that this is the perfect time to really be reading this book and thinking about what are our values and how can I really even retool what I'm currently doing to work better for me. And as you've talked about context in the right context. Yeah. Well, and I think we're all going to still be working remotely for many more months to come as much as we wish we we could have some more freedom i think we're we still got several months here to be thinking about it definitely now i'd love to ask you a few of our rapid fire questions so our listeners could get to know you a little bit better are you ready to jump in sure awesome what is your top wellness tip my top wellness tip used to be exercise even if you only sit five or 10 minutes a, a day, it has sunk to number two. So it's still really critical. Number one is now sleep. Getting consistently good quality and quantity of sleep is my number one wellness tip. Love that. That is definitely something I need to be working toward. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is great advice. Where is your favorite travel destination, assuming that we could travel right now? Oh yeah, I know. I have I have two. I have two. I my husband and I love Italy, in particular uh, Lake Como, Italy. We he proposed to me there. We got married there. It's just such a magical, magical place. And then our other favorite place is Croatia. The water in Croatia is just beautiful, and the wine is fantastic, and it's just a really historic, interesting, lovely place. I am dying to go to Croatia and then Italy. Italy is just beautiful. Um, that's, that's amazing. If you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? I am pretty sure that I was a cat in a previous life <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I love cats and we're just not able to have pets, but whenever I get around a cat, they tend to warm up to me really quickly. In fact, my mother calls me the cat whispers well, with her cats. <laughs> Um, and she stayed with us for several months during COVID and has brought her kitty cats. And so as I look at their behavior and look at my own behavior, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was a cat and so would be. <laughs> and they know, they know that. Uh-huh. That is awesome. What is your number one favorite show to binge? You know, I love shows that incorporate a couple elements. One, architecture. Um, two, food, um, and three, travel. And in particular, because of COVID and we can't travel, we've really been looking for those travel shows. So things like, uh, and Netflix, we watch a lot of Netflix, but um, 
you know, wor the world's most, uh, what is it called? The world's most exotic homes or something like that. I think wow. that one of them's called, or I love the somebody feed Phil show. He cracks me up. Um, I also love chef's table because uh, they would highlight chefs all around the world and you'd learn about their cultures. Um, the, another show called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat was another great show that incorporated food and travel. Right now we're watching Grand Designs, which are these um, different homes you'd never expect to see that are being built and that happens to be based in the UK. So anything that kind of has travel, number one, but architecture and food incorporated into it, we love those kinds of shows. Those sound really, really good. And I think that I need to get into some of those because I am really starting to, to, to miss planning a trip and sort of at least just see something different than the same architecture mm -hmm. of Central and South Florida. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. I agree. Totally. Yes. And so on a similar note, what is your favorite social distancing activity? Yeah. Right now it's been that bike riding. We've just been loving riding our bikes. Um, but also one other thing we'll do is, is my neighborhood, my neighborhood happens to be really intimate. The, the streets are very small and cozy and quaint. And so there are evenings where we'll just sit in our lawn chairs out in our front yard and um, neighbors will pass by walking their dogs or some will bring a chair and sit down socially distanced, you know, in the yard and we have a beer and just hang out and just catch up, but we're still safe with masks and being distanced and outside. That's great. That sounds like such a nice way to spend the evenings and still see people, but in a safe way. We love it. It's been great. That's awesome. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I think that there are so many great takeaways from our conversation and from your book as well. And I'd love to know where our listeners can find you and connect and where they can get a copy of your book. Fantastic, Valerie. Thank you. Um, the book is available on all the major retail sites. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. Uh, and also I have a website, joycheaper.com. In particular, the resources page on the website would be really helpful for folks. So on that page are a lot of one page type summaries from the chapters in the book. And then I'm on all the social media channels, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. Wonderful. I will be sure to include all of those links in the show notes. And I just want to say again, thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. I cannot wait to start doing some of the activities from your book. Well, and Valerie, just by thinking of it and thinking about it, you're already a joy achiever. So welcome to the club. Isn't Tracy just wonderful? As someone whose word for the year of 2021 is joy, I really loved learning about the Joy Teaver journey and ways to incorporate more joy into my own life, both personally and professionally. Tracy has some really incredible resources on her site just to help you sort out your values and your strengths. And for anyone who's either feeling burned out right now or even just feeling a little directionless, Tracy's book and website are great resources to help you get yourself on track, feeling better, and more excited about what you do on a day-to-day. -day. I loved what Tracy had to say about joy and how it isn't the outcome of a moment, but more of an accumulation of choices that we make. It actually reminds me of a quote from Aristotle, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. 
I think our habits play such an important role in our lives and they really do add up and they play a role in the way we perceive the world around us. So I think Tracy shares so many great habits that we can incorporate into our own lives and I hope you can take a few away with you today. So I have linked all of Tracy's information and her book in the show notes so that you can join the Joy Achiever journey too. Thank you guys for sharing part of your day with us here at Wellness and Wanderlust. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you share on Instagram and tag me at Wellness and Wanderlust blog. Please feel free to rate and review the show on whatever app you're listening on. And of course, if you have a topic you'd like to see or a guest that you would like to see, shoot me an email at Valerie at Wellness and Have a wonderful day and I will see you next time.